The idea of this podcast is simple, discipleship. We want to bring the gospel message about how to interact with your coworkers, your culture, your friends, everyone around you in a biblical way, which is, in essence, discipleship. What did Jesus do when he came to this earth? He took the devil's stuff. The Bible actually teaches that the world is becoming increasingly covered with the knowledge of the glory of God. That should change everything in the mind of a Christian. Instead of thinking about all the ways society is failing, we should think about all the ways society must be, as Psalm 1101 tells us, put underneath the feet of Jesus in victory. The Rebel Alliance Podcast. We would be honored if you would join us. Well, welcome back to another episode of Rebel Podcast. Uh, it's uh, Nate alone in Garaj Mahal. Not really alone. I don't have my wingman, Pootie, but uh, I do have a good friend uh, and uh, and guest today, uh, Corey McKenna. So Corey McKenna is from the Cross Current. You got a mic in front of you. Say hi. Yeah, how's it going, Nate? Big shoes to fill with Pootie not here, man. It's true. It yeah. is. I'll uh, do my best. So you got to try to be funny. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> do all your right. best, right? You're right. Uh, and uh, that's that's really all there is to it. Okay. So, yeah, I can okay. be funny. Okay. We're good. Um, so usually what we do, uh, we start off with Rebel News. And uh, so I'm going to just throw out a headline. And usually this is this is what Pootie does. He just reads some headlines and, uh, and gets my reaction to them. So you're going to get put on the spot like I often am. Okay. Um, okay. So here's a news story that's coming out of the UK. And uh, uh, so there's this woman named Kate Scottow in uh, Hertfordshire, which sounds like a place from uh, Middle Earth, but it's it's in the UK. Uh, So she gets arrested in front of her children um, in December. She's 38 years old, who is detained for several hours. Three police officers sent to her house um, and uh, and she was arrested Be Essentially, as the CBN article says, because she was calling a biological man who identifies as a woman a man. Hmm. And so the uh, the Twitter debate ensued and she refused to call him a woman. And uh, this individual called the police and the police tracked her down, which is scary enough. So there's a couple of different things I'd love to hear you talk on. So number one, so she's on Twitter and she gets arrested kind of in her real life, so to speak. Right. And uh, she gets arrested because of her refusal to call a biological man a woman. Um, wow. Yeah. What are your thoughts on that? Uh it sounds kind of judgmental to arrest someone on that basis. I mean, that, that's that's how it, that worldview blows itself up, right? Right. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and you, you've done. I've heard your program. You've done this before. It's this idea that uh, uh, you know it's judgmental to judge someone, et cetera, et cetera. But that's a shocker. I mean, yeah. uh, what happened to freedom of speech, and what are the parameters of freedom of speech? And and it seems as though everyone's got free speech until you come against yeah. the popular views of the day. I that's mean, right. um, what do you think of that, Nate? I mean, that's a great point. Yeah. Well, I I I think you're dead on. I think. Um, um, we're, we're getting to this place now where because we live in cultures where the, the government feels it's their mandate to dictate morality, right? So now we're in this weird place now where the government thinks it knows better than, than any of its individuals what, uh, what's right and what's wrong. And so it's, the minute you have the government um, enforcing its ethic, 
Um, there's always going to be blasphemy laws in any kind of worldview, in any system. And it seems like we're, we're living in now a, a culture in a world where the blasphemy laws is thou shall not speak against, mm-hmm. you know, the um, LGBT community, yeah, the, right. you know, whatever, whatever the minority of the day is. And so it's interesting that, um, you know, th- this is this is the place where, um, you know, I, I think about. I, you know, I'm a pastor and, and you're a pastor and, and a, a ministry guy. And I think often, you know, we take for granted the fact that our livelihood um, is, is kind of centered on the fact that we are countercultural. Right. Like our ministries, our livelihood is set up on the basis of being countercultural. Yeah. So when we say things that are biblical and countercultural, that's how we get you know, not get paid, but that's how we, you know, have sure. our livelihood. Yep. Whereas it's, it's everyday people fighting on places like Twitter or not baking cakes, right. Or, or, you know, making a stand. Those are the people who are actually putting skin in the game and, and, and costing by speaking against the blasphemy laws. Yeah, of it's, it's, it's so interesting. interesting. I mean, to, to borrow a term from our friend, Jeff Durbin, I mean, I love the term he talked about imaging God. Yeah. And I've kind of borrowed that from him. I think it's, a, it's amazing because we're going to talk about evangelism some and just, and just, uh, you know, cultural engagement. And it's amazing that when you understand the testimony of scripture, namely Romans one, and, and as image bearers of God, we're called to imitate God. We just can't do that. You know, we've been assigned those communities communicable attributes of God, but we just can't do that because we're not in relationship with God. We hate God. We're, you know, the natural man and all those types of things. But it's amazing that that the human always images God, but they, they're just not consistent. Right. So here we have someone who who logically understands, I wouldn't think they'd break it down as like a syllogism, but you look at the idea of, of, uh, of transgender. I mean, it violates non-contradiction. It's really funny. Yeah. Even logic is violated in that model. Yeah. So, so someone who's rational says, you know what? This is wrong. Now, why is it wrong? Well, as Christians, we can say why it's wrong because God says it's wrong. That's the ultimate answer. But here's someone who knows it's wrong. They're disconnected from the source of all that's right and true in God. But yet they, they just feel this, this, clearly this compulsion to jump on Twitter and start to push their weight around. Yep. I just think it's interesting how how uh, both sides of that argument are, are from their perspective, imaging God, albeit in a sinful way. Mm. But yeah. right. But but here as, as Christians, what we can kind of say in conversation with people is, yeah, it shouldn't surprise us. The Bible says that. Yeah. It shouldn't surprise us. The Bible says that. And that sounds kind of funny. And and I'm not trying to be uh, you know mm-hmm. argumentative, but but when we understand what Scripture teaches about the human condition, and again, how we've been made in God's image to imitate Him, we just can't do that. Um, and and therefore, we sin against God. We lie about who God is. We all do it until we come to uh, to faith in Christ by the Holy Spirit. It's amazing how how every news story that comes out, it's like yeah. It shouldn't surprise us. Yeah, yeah, it shouldn't surprise us, right? Because if you drill down to the foundation, yep. people are imaging God in a sinful way yep. or trying to. Absolutely. Right? So, but yeah, that's a, that's, a, that's just a wild story, man. I mean, I think we have to be so just aware of what's going on in the culture. We have to be wise to the um, to the, the God of this age who's blind to the minds of unbelievers. And, yeah. and here we sit. Well, and I think, you know, I, I, we'll get into what your ministry is and, and why you, you, I think, have maybe uniquely faced this in some ways. But I'm sure in a lot of the ways where you're providing um, kind of biblical view of creation in a lot of various forums where you have, um, I'm sure you often get called anti-science, right? Like, like that's, that's a label that Christians have been attacked with for a long time, right? Sure. We, we deny Darwinian evolution. We deny the age of the earth. We deny all these sorts of things. We are right. science deniers. Right. And, and then 
I, I think the rise of transgenderism in our culture shows what you have been saying for a really long time, and that is, look, it, it's not it's not the um, opposition to Darwin that you hate. It's the God who opposes Darwin, right? right. And because now you see they're completely fine denying science mm-hmm. <laughs> as long as right. it fits within their orthodoxy. Totally right? true. As long man. as it, they're fine denying science or affirming science, based on what they believe science is saying and whether or not it points to God. It has right. nothing to do with the science. Yeah, amazing. And, and you know, as, as guys who would say we're quote-unquote presuppositional, i.e. we start with the Bible, we submit to Christ as Lord, and then we kind of, we, we chat with people from there. Um, what's amazing about what you're saying is, as again, as we drill down into what's really going on there, I can remember being uh, in Indianapolis. It was the year of the Super Bowl out there, and there was a, a young man, very intelligent, very quote-unquote scientific. And what that meant is he He's, he's applying operation signs to origin science, and they're not the same type of science. Right. You can't do that. Right. And that's a bit of a bait and switch that happens. But I can just remember being trained uh, by someone who who was very well versed in in, uh, in biblical apologetics, and and I remember instead of chasing the the Darwinian evolution frisbee like I used to do for years, I just remember asking the guy, "Well, obviously you believe in induction. You, you believe in this principle of the." of the, the present being like the past, correct? Well, yes. On what basis is tomorrow going to be like today? And that, that's really a, speaks of God's sovereign wisdom in Genesis yep. 8.22. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. We have a basis yep. for induction. And that, that's the bedrock of science. Well, he's like, well, it's going to be like, uh, like today. Tomorrow's going to be like today because it was like that yesterday. And of course, yep. <laughs> well, you just proved I'm never going to die then. I actually right. said that to the guy. <laughs> what do you mean? Well, I've never died before. Yeah, but people have died. Yeah, I'm just not them. Off we went. <laughs> I'm so, the first so, one. Yeah, I'm the first one. And so so not to not to try to, to be saucy with someone like that, but you're absolutely right. But I think what we have to train ourselves to do, uh, just to lean into, you know, whether it's Douglas Wilson on one, uh, Ravi Zacharias talks about his, his trip to the Wexner Center of the Arts. Maybe you've heard this story. Yep. Great story. And Great story. We have to train ourselves to look at the foundation folks are standing on. Yeah. Christ is king. Yep. It's not like there's other morality out there. Christ is king. Good is good because God says it's good. We just have to ask ourselves that question. What are what are these folks scratching at? Is it a moral argument? Is it a scientific argument? Is it a logic argument? All of those things find their origin in the heart and mind of God. We just have to help them see that. That's a work of the Spirit. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that's that's kind yeah, yeah. of drilling down. But I mean, may, maybe I'm hijacking your uh, your news stories here. I don't know. No, Hold no, on. that's all right. No, no. <laughs> so uh, that that actually just gave our our, our listeners a whole lot of uh, um, insight into the conversation that we're going to have. So what we'll do is we'll take a quick break, um, and uh, and then when we come back, uh, we're going to talk to Corey about uh, what the cross current does, and we're going to take some of these conversations a little bit further. All right. Okay. Have you checked out the latest at rebelalliancemedia.com? At the bottom of the homepage, you can now sign up to the Rebels mailing list, so you'll never miss an update. On the blogs and articles page, you'll find posts by Erica Van Brimmer and Ben and Andrew Emery as they write about culture, politics, theology, Christian living, and more. There's PNAT's Eschatology series page and a new members page. There's a shopping page where you can purchase audio files. More stuff will be appearing there soon. Tell your friends to have a look at rebelalliancemedia.com. You can do even more to help the Rebels by clicking the donate button. Interact with the Rebels on Facebook, Twitter, or email. Thanks for listening.
All right, so we're back, and we're with Corey McKinnon. You got a little sneak peek of uh, how much I like talking to Corey, and uh, I feel like Corey and I can just spin our wheels for a long time chatting about all this stuff because uh, there's so much in common, and uh, I love your heart for evangelism. Um, but before we get into all that stuff, so you're Corey McKenna. Yeah. Could, could, you have you have P Nate. Could you call me hardcore for the, the segment? Hardcore? Yeah, sure. Like I'll, yeah, I'll call okay. you hardcore. Cool. Yeah, yeah. uh, Pooty comes up with his own nicknames. Yeah. He tries to get us ca- to call him Vanilla Knox. All right. Yeah, so yeah. I don't That's you know. that. That's yeah. awkward. Hardcore. So, hardcore. Yeah. All right, hardcore. Yeah. So hardcore over here. <laughs> um, he uh, works for the Cross Current. So right. this is a, a ministry. I want you to tell our listeners just a little bit about Cross Current and why why you're here talking about this stuff. Yeah. So my background is uh, been a pastor since 2002. Uh, was an evangelist since 2006. We could get into the storyline there as to what happened and what unfolded, but really uh, with a heart for both the church first and foremost, and for the lost, uh, the Cross Current's really a bridging ministry. So what we do is we're a local missions ministry that equips the church, what we call by example, to normalize sharing the gospel in all your personal and community relationships. Now that's the formal mission, but really what that shakes down to is setting an example in Christian life and witness in all categories of human existence. We believe submitted to the Lordship of Christ, and we need to be able to converse with people on that basis and to, uh, to plead with them to come to faith in Christ. That, now, one of the things that I love about Cross Current is your um, your high view of the local church, right? There's a lot of parachurch ministries out there. There's a lot of church uh, parachurch ministries that don't partner with, that don't really even include the local church. And, mm-hmm. and that's not your vision at all. So talk just a little bit about how it is that you work with churches and equip churches. Yeah, we, we actually would... would not not to uh, not to um, to be unkind to any other ministries. That's not my heart. But we would sort of reject personally on our side the parachurch tag. We would say dia church if you want to put church. You know, apply it to our ministry. Dia church is sort of the idea of amidst as opposed to even alongside. Amidst what we do as a ministry is we work within the local church with local churches. And really our heart would be that this is all about discipleship. You know, Ephesians 4 talks about God gives evangelists, pastors and evangelists to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. The church is the plan. And so we would believe that as churches are discipled in a healthy biblical way, the outcome is worship, which is really the precursor to witness. I mean, worship inspires witness. So if churches will love one another, as Christ has called us to do, one to the other within the body of Christ, then the love your neighbor becomes an overflow of what's happening in the church. The reverse is true as well. Unfortunately, uh, unhealthy churches really, in my very humble opinion, have to be very careful and maybe should should, uh, abstain from too much outreach until they get their act together, for real. Yeah, no, yeah. So uh, you you used a couple phrases there. I, I'm wondering if you're pulling it from the same place. Um, so you said, you talked about worship and, and witness, right? Yeah. Um, and uh, I, I think it was John Piper who said, evangelism exists because worship does not. Is that where you're kind of drawing yeah, that from? Everything so, leads back to John Piper. I'll <laughs> yes, just call that out, right? Yeah, all the good things. Yeah, all anyway. the good stuff. Yeah, yeah all the good stuff. Uh, yeah, worship inspiring witness for sure. I mean, one, one of my one of my favorite uh, uh, preachers, missionaries, even, even mentors, I would say, would be Paul Washer. Yep. And Paul Washer sort of acts out this sort of scenario where there's somewhere Christ is not worshiped. Yeah. And he's pacing back and forth, pacing back and forth. The heart of a missionary is we have to go and tell so they'll worship the king. That's right. We believe that's the heart of a missionary. It's not just a about a pragmatic presentation, not about that at all. It's about us declaring Christ as King and calling people to repent and and uh, and um, and submit to Him. Yeah. And so we believe, though, that the mandate is church-wide witness, one body, many members working together. I think Paul 
theologically in Corinthians, I think we see a bit of a syllogism, Nate. I think we see, you know, in 1 Corinthians 12, one body, many members. That's really about organization. You know, one body, many members. Then we have 13, which is about motivation, love. 14 is about what? 14 is really about the idea that, uh, that we're all worshiping together. And then we have the gospel in 15. I think as one body, many members, motivated by love, worships the king, then we go and be witnesses for Christ. I think that's when God adds to the church. And, so, um, yeah. so in your mission statement, I love this, you, you talk about normalizing evangelism or Christian witness. Um, one of the reasons, I mean, we, we had, uh, just so our listeners know, uh, we had Corey in at Crossroads um, at our church to come and, and put on um, some apologetics and, and personal witness training. I don't even think apologetics is necessarily the right term, although the two go together. It was really come in and, and train our people how to be personal witnesses for Christ in their sphere of influence with their neighbors, with their coworkers. What does that look like? So I love uh, the language that you use there in terms of normalizing evangelism because so my experience is, and, and this is both per, me personally, so I'm not throwing anyone under the bus that I'm not, you know, throwing myself under there too, mm-hmm. is evangelism is way harder in real life than it seems like it should be when we read our Bibles, right? right? Yeah. Uh, we just finished uh, preaching through the book of Acts and and we, we kept noting how Paul turns every opportunity, right, into a gospel presentation, every opportunity, right? He gets arrested, gospel presentation, right? He gets dragged out in front of this governor, gospel presentation, like everything. And, and so we read the Bible and we feel like everything should be about personal witness, right? We, we got one mission, right? Jesus gives us go make disciples of all nations. When we get up there, it's going to be, how'd you do with the one job I gave you to do, right? True. In the garden, Adam gets one job. Don't eat the fruit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Here, yeah. Yeah. we get one we job. Go. Yeah. go make disciples. Right and we're not doing it. <laughs> right. right? We're disobeying just like right. Adam in the, in the garden. Why, in your experience, you've dealt with a lot of pastors, a lot of people, a lot of Christians. I don't think, I don't think we don't evangelize because we don't see the necessity of it. Mm. There's just a whole lot of fear wrapped up in it. Why do you think that so many Christians aren't evangelizing? Yeah, pointing to myself, that was my testimony, Nate. I'm, I'm teaching it. I'm preaching it for years as a pastor, years. And finally, the Holy Spirit dealt with my heart and said, okay, is there any other category of your existence that you tell people to do something and you don't do it, really? Prayer's not like that. Bible reading's not like that. Worship's not like that. All the other disciplines of the Christian life, I had example. Yeah. Just got to keep it real. I did not have one living example of a witness for Christ. So so I like to tell this little story. Maybe I've told it to you before. If my kids are listening, they're rolling their eyes right now about <laughs> buying a pet tiger. And a true story, I don't know if I've told you this before. Uh, when I was a younger guy, um, I, I investigated quite seriously what would it take to buy a tiger. I like white Bengal tigers, my favorite animal, the blue eyes, the whole bit. And sure enough, my investigation led me to understand you can buy a pet tiger, and this is kind of the way it works. When it's a kitten, it's taken from its mom very, very young, and it's raised around your family, totally not knowing what it is. It has no concept of its identity. So it's raised, and it's generally pretty safe, becomes very, very domesticated. But the warning on the label is if that tiger ever so much as sees another tiger, it instantly understands what it is. It has a hardwired identity, and it will turn on you and potentially kill you. And so wow. I say that because, yeah, wow, when I, when I ended up in Southern California under the mentoring of a, young, uh, a younger man at that point, a guy named Tony, 
Tony Miano. Some of your listeners will know Tony. Tony the Lawman. He used to be on Way of the Master Radio with Ray Comfort, and Tony's a faithful, faithful preacher of the gospel. I remember meeting Tony. Tony's about my height, not tall. You can't, you, obviously, this is radio, but uh, but I, when I saw Tony, who I now call Tony the Tiger, when I saw Tony pray for someone and share his faith with someone and, and stand up on on a soapbox and preach the good news of the gospel, when I when I when I actually saw that example, God. God really awoke in me that, oh my goodness, I've been domesticated as a Christian in this category. I don't want to be unkind. Lots of great men and women of God who I got to know and learn so much from. If, if This is why we say as a ministry, our slogan, if you will, is equipping the church by example. I think the one virtue and really my personal mission, uh, if you will, verse, um, is where Paul says, uh, be imitators of me. NIV translates that. I know, sorry, NIV, I don't like <laughs> NIV. Uh, but follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. I believe if we would just, just lock arms and say, we will set an example in every area of Christian life, I think we would have not only would we have more credible discipleship, but I think we would have multi-generational faithfulness starting at home, in the church and in the culture. I really believe that. Hmm. But I think example is the missing ingredient. I'm not yeah. just being overly reductionistic. I really do. Yeah. And I didn't have that. Hmm. I didn't have that. So so then it's it's a huge part of your ministry to to equip by example. So what are some of the things that CrossCurrent does to equip by example? What are some of the examples that you're setting before us? Yeah, so so it sort of rises and falls on on you know you always, we're preachers alliteration right on <laughs> on first of all uh, we believe in mentoring. We need to mentor leaders within churches to to multiply ministry within their own churches. We're not about this uh, this sort of idea that we come with our kind of eleven herbs and spices and provide this great training and then disappear until the next round, uh, we would say, no, we want to equip the church within itself to start to multiply ministry. And we believe that as we mentor leaders to do that, the third M to that sort of, um, that sort of uh, uh, kind of mission is, uh, is modeling. Uh, we think it's very important that whether that's, and, and don't hear what I'm not saying, sometimes that's in the community. That could be at a soup kitchen or on a street corner, could be in a Starbucks could be at a supper table. We just believe churches need to have a consistent, faithful mechanism whereby leaders are allowing the Christians under their pastoral care to hear and experience real conversations between Christians and non-Christians. Hmm. Now, that might involve Pastor Nate saying, okay, we're just going to now set up kind of this infrastructure whereby if I'm going to the coffee shop to share my faith with my neighbor, that I just ask that neighbor, is it okay if I bring someone who I'm mentoring to, to share their testimony? There needs to be a culture of, of not just being told, but being modeled and demonstrated what's expected. And hmm. that's what we would encourage. And one way of doing that is, is a weekly uh, sort of community outreach team. We train churches, what we call GO teams, gospel outreach teams, and also a, a lean, leaning into the Great Commission. And uh, in the authority of Christ, we go. But um, but we would say churches just need to have a way that this, this moves out of theory into practice. Right. You can do that, I know you can as a pastor, with every other discipline. You can you can demonstrate for me in some way, shape, or form. Evangelism is not that way in most churches. Yeah, it's true. Some churches it is. That's true. But not all. And, and I think, I, I mean, part of that is, I think, like like you shared, 
Um, I think there are a lot of pastors who end up living in kind of a, a church bubble where they're they're not being faithful at actually sharing their faith outside the walls of the church. And I and I I know and I, I I'm sure I'm guilty of saying this early in my ministry at some point where you know well I'm called I you know I'm called to feed the sheep. Their job is to go and share the gospel outside mm. the walls of the church. And I think that's to uh, to really pervert the the main call the main commission for all of us as Christians. Um, I think I think to we, we just we live in a culture that's so hostile to the to the gospel and so hostile to faith that we we seem just afraid to share the gospel sh- afraid to share the story so what do you guys do to kind of help Christians get over that fear yeah I think the the um, you know we often envision the task of, of seed sowing or if you will fishing and fishers of men as if you could envision someone sitting a dock at a dock and they're sort of throwing their fishing line into the water and uh, and and the, the fish sort of nibbling the closest are family and friends and that's that's a huge group of people i mean if you just look at your facebook list yeah, and think of how many people are not christian on that list i mean you could have hundreds of people that you've most likely not shared the gospel with at least all of them yep. and so there's a, a great mission field god has providentially placed people in your life today we're not talking about no trace camping here and going to the highways and byways <laughs> talking about Facebook, yeah. pretty unspiritual, but it can be if viewed through the lens of eternity. That can be a powerful way to to, as it were, uh, find lost people. Yeah. And so uh, the next sort of sort of distance, I I believe when Jesus speaks of uh, Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth, I think that that evangelism is is more biblically viewed not as a depth factor. That's when elitism sets in. Yep. I, I'm I'm deeper. I, I right. walk further with you. I think it's more of a distance factor. The idea that we have our local mission field, then we have sort of that Judea and Samaria, and then we have the end of the earth. I think some are called to go further. So if you think of that second sort of place of maybe in your community or in your country, I think that we can help people engage in maybe team evangelism in those areas. Those called to the ends of the earth, we have to have a way that we can uh, we can obviously uh, support people in the field, going to not just the unchurched but the unreached. Praise God, pioneers and such, great yep. guys. And uh, but as far as how do you deal with those fears, I think we deal with those fears openly and honestly and together. And I think I think, and I would say in my experience, Nate, is that is that when you actually um, approach someone you already know with with a humble heart. With prayed up, this very yep. important prayer, right? That, that's the engine that drives it all. One, one of the guys who mentored me said that if you, um, if you, if you witness, no, if you pray without witnessing, you're a hypocrite. But if you witness without praying, you're a lunatic. Love that. That's, that's so awesome. true, yeah, right? That's, and so we would say, yeah. if you would approach the people that, that God has placed in your life with a humble heart and just say something like, you know what? Um, you, you, you may or may not know that I'm a Christian. I go to church. I would love to take you out for a cup of coffee and just share with you how and why I became a Christian. Just get a conversation started. I'm not trying to drag you to something uh, you're not you're not wanting to go to, which is absolutely true. Yep. You can even tack on, you know, I can't make you believe what I believe. Absolutely true. Um, you know, uh, with with our theology, this is absolutely. all in bounds. Yeah, yeah. And, and we just have to remember that a man sows a seed. He sleeps. He knows not how that seed grows. If we'll just be seed sowers. Yeah. Sow the seed, water the seed, and uh, and trust God to bring the increase. And that's the little pattern that we would teach in our in our training would be pray, sow, water. Now the order is important. It's not pray, water, sow. A lot of people, in an illustrative sense, are watering unsown seed. They're being kind to friends and family, kind mm. to neighbors, without ever having shared the gospel. Right. 
I don't think that's what scripture calls us to do. I think we're called to pray, yes, so urgently, Mm. water for as long as it takes. Yeah. So urgently, in a winsome, appropriate way, sow the seed, man. Yeah, that's good. That I mean, that reminds me of uh, of you know the the phrase that's that's kind of pulled out of his context and said all the time is that St. Francis of Assisi's, you know, uh, uh, preach the gospel always and when necessary, use words, right? And I, I can't remember who it was. We'll just say Piper because we said it already. Right, yeah, Everything yeah, goes back to yeah. Piper somehow. But, you know, somebody once said that that's, uh, that's like saying, you know, feed the hungry and when necessary, use food, right? Um, so I love that because what, what, you're, what you're saying is that that sort of uh, let your light shine before men, right, is the watering and it can't come before the sowing if you expect, you know, uh, gospel growth. Yeah, I mean, uh, I just remember God dealing with me on this and I was sitting with a room full of leaders at one point of my ministry and I was pretty young in this evangelism sort of season and, and these leaders... My good, good guys. Like, let me just call that out. Good guys. They weren't heretics. They were good guys. But, but I remember them all agreeing. All but me, of course. Right, right. The cranky evangelist. All, all of them saying we can never share the gospel with someone until we have a long-term relationship with that person. And I knew what they meant. Don't yep. be a hypocrite. Don't be pushy and weird. Get yep. that. But I remember, and I really believe it was just a, a really important sort of turning point of the conversation. I asked them, "Can you define?" long term please i mean who did who, who numbers are days and and so all of a sudden it kind of shifted around to what they had to admit and what i had to admit we don't want to be hypocrites we don't want to be forceful um we don't want to um you know to be to be unloving and but i i think really what's at stake here and what what i really want to encourage people listening to realize that if we don't share the gospel the longer we take to preach the gospel there's a couple dangers with that first of all i don't think it's biblical but we're also demonstrating a works righteousness without the grace of the cross. You're showing me how to be a good person without understanding that that's not the message of, of, of the gospel. Right. Matter of fact, we're, we're not good people. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one, no one understands, no one seeks after God, right? All those things. But when we share the good news and bring context to the conversation, now we can, as life happens, if we've left that door open, and we should, now we can simply testify to something meaningful that Christ did in our life and give him all the glory for all the things we're both experiencing as human beings. Right. And we can bring con- context to the news stories we read. Now they can, not that they agree, but now at least they have a context for the conversation. Right. I can remember my, hmm. my, uh, my relatives thinking we lost our minds when we started homeschooling our kids and not Christian people. And, and it wasn't until... I biblically shared the gospel, opened the Bible and shared the gospel. And and I'm not just talking about, you know, just just the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. So that's the core and essence of the biblical gospel, 1 yep. Corinthians 15, 3 and 4. But the implications of the lordship of Jesus and building your house on the rock and the, those foundational issues of worldview and thinking Christianly, to quote Greg Bonson, all those types of things. They now understand it, and they, they don't get, bug us anymore. I'm not saying they agree with it. Of course they don't. They're unbelievers. Right. But now they have a context for why we do what we do, and it's it's much more peaceable to be truthful. Yeah. Because we took the time to sow the seed. Yeah, it is, it is amazing how less people think that if you... Um, kind of out yourself in your sphere as, as, as the crazy Christian who actually believes the Bible is true, that you get into more fights. 
And in some ways that's true, right? In some ways, you know, there's always, you know, in, uh, when, when I'm around family, uh, who are unbelievers and, you know, we're chatting about a news item or politics or something like that. Um, there's always going to be a disagreement because we're looking at the world differently. But what's interesting is, is that those that you've taken the time to actually share the gospel with who understand where you're coming from, I have conversations now where something will come up and a family member or a neighbor will say, well, you probably disagree with that, right? Because they know, they, they know <laughs> sure. that's my, that's my thing. I'm, yeah. I'm looking at the world differently than they are and they understand right. that. And it doesn't become antagonistic right. and the seed has been sown. And, you know, now, now that I've been faithful, my job is to keep praying, keep watering. Totally true. And you're, you're so spot on. There's no neutrality and, and your listeners can finish these, these, these Bible verses. You're either for or against. You walk in light, you walk in darkness, right? right? You're alive in Christ or you're dead in sin. There's no neutrality. So this is polemic in that sense. However, I I do think that we can build a relational bridge. We can find conversational common ground, not spiritual common ground, conversational common ground with those image bearing, you know, qualities of conversation and such. But just to, to make this really simple, I think we've got to be very careful to not give in to this sort of soundbite water cooler culture that we're all part of here. I think there's an inherent danger in just quipping something on Facebook or just you're going to send someone two lines about the Bible. And I think until you give them the storyline and the context and the fact that no, no, no. Our, our Christian experience is comprehensive because Christ is king. Yep. It's not as though it's just a spiritual solution, yep. right? One of my mentors says, Jesus didn't just die to redeem my soul for eternity, though that's true. He died to redeem my reasoning now, so I can actually think straight. Yep. And so I believe we need to, to, be, to be very intentional about asking what we call a practice partner, whole other discussion, but that's how we train as we encourage folks uh, to activate our training. The fruits found in the field, we say, find someone who you can practice with, who's a non-Christian, you can approach and just say, hey, look, just took some training to share my faith. Um, would you be my practice partner? Part of the homework was, is I have to ask someone I love and respect yeah. to meet me for a cup of coffee. And uh, But I think when we take that that half hour or that hour or, or however long they'll give us to 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 first of all, tell the story of the Bible. What is the, the true history of the planet according to scripture? And that is the true history. Then teach the gospel within that narrative and then take the time. Now you're in the take the time phase if you've sown the seed. It's been my experience that now there's a context. Now now you can actually point everything to Christ in a way that's credible and in a way that's winsome. I just think it's very yeah. important that we give them the story. Um, so you brought up uh, a practice partner, and uh, I, I don't think I've ever shared this story with you. So you came and did this training at our church, and you talked about this practice partner, and I thought, man, that's a really great way to kind of dip your foot in the pool, right? That in, right. A, in a kind of non-threatening way. And I remember, so um, there are two individuals in my life, uh, non-Christian friends, uh, who I kind of did that with. And I would just said, hey, like, you know, I just just took a little bit of training on how to share my faith with people. I wondered if I could practice on you and, and just kind of chatted with them. And of course, you're there and you share the gospel. And what's so interesting about that relate both those relationships now is that these guys follow some of the ministry we do here at Rebel Alliance and some of the stuff I post online and everything, and they'll actually provide me feedback. Hey, you said this, and I just want to let you know how it came across, or hey, you kind of crossed the line in your tone in this particular episode or whatever. And what's so amazing is that they they should hate. <laughs> they should hate all this stuff we're putting out there because uh, they reject Christ and they mm-hmm. hate God. Mm-hmm. And, so, and, and what's so interesting is that they're following so much 
church ministry because they've sort of been invited in to critique me, right? And right. and and we do we have this kind of weird relationship where they're listening to all of the evangelism that I put out online, you know, as sort of critiquers of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it was really interesting for me because now that they've kind of been invited into an almost like inner circle, you know, almost, I, I don't even know how to describe it. Um, I get so much feedback on how the ministry we're doing online is heard by unbelievers. Yeah, I, I just it, love what you're cool. saying. It sounds so consistent with the ministry of Christ, honestly, that here was, here was Jesus that uh, we know who really didn't like him, but yet there was something about the way he ministered perfectly in grace, perfectly in truth, never compromised, but was always open. I mean, there was, we're all trying to get there by the grace of God. <laughs> but, but here's Jesus, who was a friend of sinners, called a, a glutton and a drunkard. There was something about the way he ministered that the, the, the people who were so down and out wanted to be around him. He never compromised the message. So right. I think that's encouraging, man, because what it tells me is that, is that they, they, Here's a, here's a great word. They respect you. They don't agree with you. Definitely not. They have to be, they have to be overwhelmed with the Spirit of God to agree with you. We know that's true. Yep. But they respect you. you. You've clearly been in relationship with them. And, and now you've sown the seed. They have a context for that. But, I mean, now... To me, what's exciting is they can, they, they're, they're very open now to engaging you based on your worldview. Yep. I mean, my goodness, that, that's like, that's like inviting them to your get together, right? Yeah. And exactly. you're very open to that. It yep. sounds like church. We're open to it, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So um, now one of the things that I, th- I, I think was really helpful when we did, uh, when we brought you in and you did training at our church, uh, I had to kind of dispel the myth that everybody thought you know, we had a we had a preacher coming in who's going to come and get us all, you know, doing street evangelism or like knocking on the door, like you know, like the Jehovah's Witnesses, like the Mormon Church. Yeah, um, yeah. And uh, and so, talk to me just a little bit about um, the method not mattering as much as the message, right? We, you talk about that in terms of there. There are some of us who I think maybe are are well equipped to be those go team leaders out on the streets preaching the gospel in coffee shops and stuff. But we're not talking, we're not talking to the people, uh, you know, this is very accessible. And, mm-hmm. and that's, that's the, the thing that I've always appreciated about your training is that you make it accessible for every person in the church. So talk just a little bit about, you know, it's the method matters less than the message and being faithful within your sphere. Yeah, that's a great question. I'll sort of frame it with, um, with imagery that's not oft used in church circles these days is militaristic imagery. I mean, we use family imagery, and but yeah. there, there's, there, there is the, uh, oh, the imagery did. in the Bible of, yeah. of, of soldiers and such. And, and I, I think for a long time, and I, I don't want to peg a date on a calendar, Nate, but I, I think for a long time in the modern church, we've sort of viewed the work of missions as, as sort of like this, this warship um, pushing off a dock and there's soldiers on that ship who are the, the missionaries and they've got the they've got the the guns on and they've got the artillery and they, they've got the the ammunition and and on the dock we've got people who are waving you know all the others the common people waving to the heroes and throwing flowers and cutting checks and and better you than me yep. and and sort of thing and, and I understand that. That might have been my paradigm for a while, but I just don't think that's the way that Scripture portrays the call to missions. I think the the, the mission of the of the church is missions. The missions of missions is the church. I think this is really that is the goal. Christ is building His church. The gates of hell will not prevail. If you're part of the church, you're part of the mission. Now yep. the question is to what extent? I think the the biblical picture is more like this. I think what we see is everyone's on on the boat. 
as the boat pushes off, we're all on the boat. But because of how, how we're gifted by God, the passions we have and the experiences we've had, there are people serving in different ways, different roles. Yep. So you might be a sniper. I mean, there are snipers. And I, I have a friend actually who's in special ops and he's one very disciplined dude. And, and so that might be your, uh, maybe your, uh, your open air preacher who, who's very comfortable with sort of that Act 17 fielding questions on, on an open mic. And I've seen those guys. I've done some of that myself. Someone called to that. Yep. Maybe you someone else who's who's maybe uh, more of a, a drill sergeant. Someone else who is not that this is less important, but someone's got to keep the ship clean. Someone's got to make the food. But what's interesting about the military, the principle has been called soldier first. Regardless of where you serve and at what level, you are you are tasked with handling your rifle. Everyone who serves in the military hand that's the gospel. Hmm. Everyone is yeah. have to steward good. the good news of the gospel, and so we would say, look, it's not about uh, it's not about sort of who's serving at what level. It's the fact that you are being responsive to the uh, to the work of the Spirit. Uh, you're being open to the call. One of my mentors said, "Man, this this was convicting." I remember showing up at a uh, at a street ministry training event, and I didn't know what I was getting into. It was probably the first one I went to, and this guy made the announcement, "Hey, if you've already determined the limit to to where you walk with the Spirit of God, you're in sin." Hmm. I mean, who knows where God will take you? And I've just experienced that's that tiger thing again. It's amazing that when you get around a group of people and what, what was abnormal starts becoming normal, hmm. it's amazing how God will stretch you in that by the work of the Spirit. But I would just encourage folks to think through, look, tactically, there's lots of, if you will, ways to share the gospel. There's lots of ways to sow seed. Strategically, the call is to, is to share the gospel. I think what we do is we get muddled about strategy, yep. which is the Great Commission and preaching the gospel, and tactics. There's lots of great ways to share the gospel. If you want to go door to door, okay, I think a bit of a challenge in the culture, but not saying you shouldn't do it. I mean, the power's in the word of God, right? Yep. Um, but if you want to be someone who who writes letters to someone, I know of a lady who uh, she goes on Canada 411 and she prints off about 20 names off of Canada 411. She writes them personal letters, signs someone who loves you. She puts tracks in and sends them out every week. She's heard. Wow. Isn't that amazing? I mean, God moved her to do that. Uh, there are people who are called to, to hang out at coffee shops and coach sports teams and people who are called to. I have a dear friend uh, here in London who's what I would call a marketplace missionary. The, I don't know of any anyone who shares his faith more uh, at his business than this individual. I mean, so I think the question is, is the question is not, should I? It's how should I? And, and where am I serving? How has God been leading me to be part of the mission? So it sounds like um, one of the keys, you would say, in terms of uh, how, how, to, how the church can get better at evangelism, big picture, is kind of an ontological thing it's it's every christian recognizing that they're in the army right that that that's we all have one task to do right this is this is our great commission and we're all a part of it yeah so, we just make disciples so, is the task right so preach it's a, the gospel gets it started right <laughs> right yeah and sure. so it's it's a um uh it's a paradigm shift in our thinking it's no longer well that's the pastor's job that's the evangelist's job or whatever and i think i think that paradigm shift 
it kind of comes from, I, I often call this the field of dreams um, strategy, right? Of like, if you build it, they will come. And so there's a whole lot of churches and there's a whole lot of um, ministries that are built around, if we build a great facility, if we put on a good Sunday morning product, if we put on a great outreach ministry, then they all come and they hear the gospel because it's preached every Sunday. Or they, and, and I think those days, if they were ever, biblical, if they were ever here, are gone, if they were. And I'm not convinced that they were. I think um, what you're talking about is is less of bring them here so they can do that and, and more you're the hands, you're the feet, you go, you share. Yeah, spot on. And, and I would say that we need to preach the gospel in churches. And you know, I know you're course, saying yeah, that. Yeah. I mean, there are so many people sitting in churches who need to be born again. I mean, um, uh, there's 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 statements about the great awakening in church attendance, and it's surprising as to how many people within those churches yes. run regenerate. So we need to preach the gospel all the time. I mean, the gospel initially justifies, yes, but continually sanctifies, yes, eventually glorifies. Yep. Same gospel that saved us will glorify us, praise God. But yes, by, by way of mission and go preach the gospel, you're hard-pressed to find examples. I mean, I've heard Sermon on the Mount cited. I don't know. I mean, to bring people to hear that, and you're not the one sharing. I just, I think the mandate is we all go, we all tell, and why would we not want to? Yeah. If we worship the king, yeah. just witness for the king. Now, you and I are both theology nerds, and I just want to—I want to angle the prism a little bit here and get your thoughts on this, because something I've been thinking a lot about to try to biblically solve this: what is going on in the modern church with, let me just call it, the lack of participation. Yep. Uh, I honestly think that there, there's a tendency we have, for whatever reason, to impose old covenant ideas in a new covenant context. And what we see in the old covenant, we see we see Moses, we see Joshua, we see the Spirit of God coming upon individuals to, to lead masses. Yep. And really we see we see sort of almost that top-down model of leadership. Moses goes up Sinai, the rest of the people watch at the edge of their tents, he goes in with God, you know, and, and meets with God and yep. as, a, as with a friend. But as we as we turn the pages on the on the New Testament, Moses gets his wish, Numbers eleven. How I wish all God's people had God's Spirit. The democratization of the Spirit happens in Acts two. Now it's participatory. Now we go to First Corinthians twelve. We're all engaged in the Great Commission. We're all engaged because we're all Spirit filled. Yeah. I think as pastors, we have to own the fact maybe we haven't been as uh, as uh, as clear and as instructional and demonstrative on how does that individual, if they're a new covenant Christian, if they're in the body of Christ, how are they responsible hmm. during the meeting of the church, during the mission? I mean, I think yeah. there's a bit of a, we've jettisoned yep. the participation of the saints. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think, um, I think that we... I think there's a couple of reasons for it. I think a lot of it is um, the church responding to the culture, which is never a good idea, right? The church is kind of taking its lead from the culture and the, the culture went the way of kind of um, uh, professionalizing, right? And so you even look at, we might get into some hot water here, but like you look at the the church's tendency that started up in the, in the 50s, 60s, and 70s as a response to the culture um, specializing everything. Like we used to have handymen who were just handymen, jack of all trades is where that phrase came from. Right. And, um, and, and then we went into the specialization, right? You go to, you go to schooling, but then you need post-secondary to get your specialization. And, you know, anesthesiologists don't do brain surgery. Right. And, 
and electricians don't do plumbing and all this kind of stuff. And so in the church, we responded by hiring youth pastors to deal with youth and we and uh, worship pastors to do the, the music. And so we have all these professionals doing these various things. And it kind of it kind of created a culture where we leave that to the pros. And so for whatever reason, then the pastor became the pro. He's the one who's who knows how to preach the gospel. I've had I've had people who have said, I've I have a, a friend who has uh, questions about the faith. Can they get together with you? I'm like, why would I get together with them? I don't have a relationship with them. Right. They don't want to get together with me. They want to get together with you. They wouldn't have come to you if they didn't. But there's this there's this mentality like, well, the professional does that, and I think I think pastors have fed into that because of our egos, and we like to be needed. And if I'm not the professional who has all the answers and, and I'm equipping other people to have the answers, then what does that say about me? Yeah, and and so, sometimes it's a bit of job security too, right? Totally. Yeah, totally. <laughs> right? It's all yeah, those things. Sure. And so I think that, I think it was a, a response to the culture and I think it fed into our ego, fed into pastor's egos and it fed into people's laziness. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's way easier, right? Mm-hmm. It's it's way easier to drop your kids off at school nine to five than it is to disciple them at home. Mm-hmm. It's way easier to, to you know, um, take your, your friend to church to get all the answers to his faith questions instead of having him into your home and answering the questions or, or saying, I don't know the answer to that. And then doing the hard work of opening your Bible and finding it for him. Yeah. So I think, I think that's, I, I think you're absolutely right. Theologically, that's where it is. And I think practically that's part of the reasoning for it. Yeah. Humbling question. So Someone asked me that I've I've sort of asked a bunch of people since in, in in again in that framework of example follow my example as I follow the example of Christ is uh, uh, this person asked me uh, who are you discipling it's a very simple question and I would dare say that if we were to stand up in pulpits uh, all across uh, the West this coming weekend and just turn to your neighbor and we all hate when preachers do that but who are you discipling no. I think it'd be pretty quiet because yeah. at the end of the day we're not called just to be disciples but disciple makers yeah. a mentor of mine said you've not been discipled till you've made one Wow, that sounds sort of yeah. biblical. And so I think if we loved God and loved others, I'm, I'm conspicuously absent from those two aspects of biblical law, love God, love others. I think if I love God and I love others, I would be a disciple maker and I would be less concerned about myself. I would just be obedient to what God's called me to do. Yeah. There's so many layers to that discussion, but I... I totally agree. I think what's happened is that we have brought people to the professional, whether that's a professional pastor or the professional evangelist or the professional quote unquote apologist. I think what we've done is we've, we've, we've really jumped off the responsibility of the priesthood of all believers, which, which scripture really does enforce and teach. And now we've just anyone who will take this off my hands, I'm game. Right. And obviously, obviously not, uh, not the call of, of a follower of Christ. Personal responsibility is the name of the game. So um, we're gonna we're gonna follow up this episode with another episode, and I want to dig into a couple of uh, themes with you. But I, I want to kind of end this this episode. Um, I want to throw out a couple of excuses to you, and I okay. want and I want you to rebuke me. I want, I want you to correct me. So I'm going to use just a couple of um, kind of cliched excuses that we all use as to why we aren't evangelists, why we aren't sharing the gospel with our friends and our neighbors and our coworkers. And then I want you to just respond to these things. Because I, 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 I'm, I'm imagining there are listeners 
Um, because I know I've been hearing you for years and I know some of the excuses that I've played through in my mind. So I'm not going to throw our uh, listeners under the bus. I'll I'll put myself there too. So I'm going to throw out some excuses as to why I'm not evangelizing, why I'm not sharing the gospel. And then you just correct me. Sure. Okay. Okay. So, um, number one, and and some of these you've kind of touched on, but I just want to kind of get a a succinct, succinct Mm -hmm. answer. Yeah. Um, okay. So. I, I'm not. I'm not gifted for evangelism. I'm not a gift. I'm, that's not my gifting. Yeah. Are you a worshiper of Christ? Yes. Yeah. Then worship inspires witness. I mean, that that may be again very very simple, um, but I think even the idea of gifted evangelist. Uh, we see equipping evangelists in Ephesians 4, equipping the saints, but uh, the work of the evangelist we're all called and tasked to do, which is simply sharing your faith, sharing the good news of the gospel. Why in the world wouldn't you want to do that? See, hopefully the Holy Spirit's given you desire. Now it's just a matter of getting equipped. It's If you have desire, when the, when the student's ready, the teacher appears, right? So uh, I get that. I mean, I think I think what's being said there is, uh, is I'm not, you know, you fill in the blank of a high-level evangelist and to lean into your professional comment. Uh, no, but you are a follower of Christ who is called to be a witness. We're all called to be Christ right. witnesses together. Praise God. Yep. Yeah. Good stuff. Yeah. Um, okay. So I, uh, I have a bunch of friends and neighbors. I'm just, I'm just waiting for the right time. Mm-hmm. I'm just waiting for the right time to, it just hasn't, it hasn't seemed like it's been the right time to share the gospel just yet. Right. So I guess the question, how much time do you have and do they have? I mean, if Jesus were to appear before us right now and say something like, hey, at the stroke of midnight, I'm coming back from my church, I think our afternoon and our evening would change considerably. Why? Well, because Jesus said he's coming back. Did he not already say that? You just don't know the time or season. The Father's right. fixed by his own authority. The longer we wait, the more we presume on God's grace. I think we have to sow the seed in a winsome way and then water for as long as it takes. But the, the danger in that, what's the right time? Um, let's, let's, let's be really honest and, 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 and realize that we ultimately don't hold those cards. We don't know how much time we have or they have. So we would say, so urgently, water for as long as it takes. Um, okay, what about... Um well, I don't. I don't want to risk the relationship. I feel like at this point, it would do more harm than good to share the gospel with them. Yeah, and and, and um, there there's, there certainly could be a backstory there. I had someone recently at training say, "I have someone in my life that has that has said in a hostile way, do not talk to me about this." Uh, maybe those are realities. I mean, my family largely is not Christian at all. Uh, but usually what that is, that, that's sort of fear overcoming your faith. And so we would encourage people, as we've talked about before, Nate, just to sit down and to really set the table for that conversation in a way that's that's winsome, it's humble. Um, there's a sales principle. If you're nervous, tell them. But we, we would encourage you to actually etch out the time to sit down with that person and, and share with them what you just said. Look, you know what? I really don't want to damage our relationship. I love and respect you. The last thing I want is you fill in the blank. Most people are warm to your warmth. You know, we do this illustration and training that if, uh, you know, you put out your hand and, uh, and I put out my hand and I push, you'll push back. But if I extend my hand to shake it, you'll shake my hand. People are warm to your warmth. So if you're just humble and gentle, uh, the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, all those types of things. People will respond that way. I think what it comes down to in most cases is people fear, feel fearful because they're ill-equipped. And so um, urgency is the name of the game, man. I think that if we really believed 
in, uh, in the truths of, of hell, in the truths of, of, uh, of, of Christ returning as conquering king, of, uh, of what that looks like. It'll be an awesome day for some and terrifying for others. Depends which side of the line you're standing on. If we believe those mm. big picture biblical truths, we would say you must be motivated. There's a little ebook, shameless plug, that, that I've written. Uh, it's called Get Fired Up, and it's five biblical motivators for being a witness. Because if you're just going to try to find that love and feeling, I'm telling you, sometimes I don't got it and you don't either. I'm a pretty selfish guy to the core. I'm an introvert, might surprise some. But we would say there are at least five. I mean, the glory of God for starters, right? Uh, The return of Christ is a darn good one. Loving others. So we would say be biblically motivated and the same spirit that has filled you will move you to share your faith, which is really important. You yeah. kind of you kind of already answered this last one, but the last uh, kind of objection I was going to have, or the last uh, uh, excuse I was going to have, is um, well, I I don't know if I'm going to have answers to their questions. Yeah, you you probably won't have answers to other questions. See, if you if you structure the conversation in a way that's again that's winsome, that's open, that's appropriate, every unanswered question just presents another opportunity to meet. Now, that's, that's not an excuse yep. not to have answers because Scripture says we should yep. have answers for our hope. First uh, Peter three, but um, but if we'll just be humble and say, look, I'm not going to know everything that you asked me. There's a strong possibility you're smarter than I am. But I'll tell you this, Christ is king, and in him is are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So we'll get there. Let's just have a long-term approach to this. So again, water quickly. Uh, sorry, so the sea quickly, <laughs> water for as long as it takes. And and so I think we have to, you know, we have to have that that perspective, Nate, that that as we have that conversation, just structure it in such a way that that all of those fears just become um you know, ways that we can just converse further about our faith with folks. Not a big deal. You're not going to have all the answers. Yeah. Get them a website, get them a brochure, but you have your Bible. Truly, truly, truly. That's the only book you need. Truly. I believe that with all my heart. And that's actually what we're going to talk about a little bit the next time we have you on, but uh, let's conclude our conversation for today there. And uh, let's just conclude. I want to give you a chance. Where can people uh, find you, find your ministry? Uh, Where can people get connected if they, if they, if some of what you've said kind of, they think, Hey, my church could really use that or whatever. Where can they find you? Yeah, right on. So go to thecrosscurrent.com. That's the uh, URL for the the ministry. Facebook is probably a little more uh, active. That's uh, at keeping the cross current on Facebook, but um, yeah, or email me direct if they like. That's Corey C O R Y at thecrosscurrent.com. We'd love to help. Awesome. All right, thanks so much for coming in today, and uh, thanks for being part of the uh, the Rebel Podcast here. Been a blast. God for, bless you guys, man. <laughs> yeah, thanks for filling Pooty's shoes. Today. All right. <laughs>